Chapter Eight of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mother of Russian Cities. Of Kiev, personally, I can unfortunately remember very little, as we stayed there just one day on our way back from the Crimea in 1916, and all that has remained in my mind is a confused jumble which refuses to be sorted out and put into proper order. I remember driving for miles up and down the steep hills, through busy crowded streets, visiting countless churches, both ancient and modern i have a dim recollection left in my mind of the large terrace in front of the palace with its view over the wide yellow Dnieper and the limitless mystery of the great plains i have a vague picture too of the hotel bedroom with an enormous wooden bed hideous carpets heavy plush curtains and a family of mice who did not seem in the least to resent my presence amidst all the disjointed desultory fragments one or two things stand out with vivid clearness the ruins of the golden gate the church built by restrelia in seventeen seventy four on the high hill where it was said that st andrew planted a cross and turning to the disciples who had accompanied him on his long journey to russia said stretching out his arm here will one day be a city of great splendor with many churches built to the glory of god the faces of the pilgrims in the livro or monastery of the caves founded by the monk Chilarion in the eleventh century old peasants come from some far-away village where civilization was still unknown women in strange bright-colored dresses monks with the mystic dreaming faces of painted icons children with big wondering eyes resting on the steps standing in silent groups kneeling before some jeweled image one looked at them as one might have looked at the age-old stones themselves they were the old russia the russia of still untold secrets the russia western progress could not change they had come hundreds of miles across the endless steppes believing that their long pilgrimage would help them cure them of some secret disease bring their men safely back from the distant fighting line give them a good harvest riches prosperity happiness they knew nothing of the woes of belgium france and england very little of the cause of the war but they thought St. Olga, or St. Vladimir, might help them, that here in the Uspensky Cathedral, built in 1089, destroyed by the Tartars, rebuilt in the 15th century, destroyed once more by fire, and again rebuilt, their prayers might be answered. Further on, too, were the catacombs of St. Anthony, who succeeded the monk Hilarion, and here seventy-three saints were laid to rest— among others john the long-suffering who had himself buried in the ground up to the neck and lived thus for thirty years surely so holy a man would help the suffering children of russia the great cathedral of st sophia with its fifteen glittering domes was full of them too the golden glimmer of old mosaics seemed to fill all the church with a dim radiance the faded frescoes the kneeling figures in the bright barbaric colors the blue drifting clouds of incense one caught one's breath because it was all so far away from the world of reality of bustling streets and clattering motors the noise and clamour and rush of modern life here were peace and faith and belief in miracles the hush of old memories the still unexplained mystery of the indestructible wall with the figure of the virgin which no tartar fire could burn 
and it was again the old russia of legend and history and romance of cruel brutality of colour and mysticism the ghosts of long-dead princes whose names still lived in the people's hearts seemed to kneel amongst the living and outside the iron doors the world of the twentieth century was no more the white walls of kiev still stood untouched with their golden turrets and domes the palace of the princes could still be reached by the winding turret staircase from the south arcade the old warriors of vladimir moved in the shifting shadows the daughters of yaroslav smiled through the haze of dust and incense then the thunder of approaching millions the shrill cry of tartars the roof of the great church crowded with refugees and defenders crashing down amidst smoke and flame the cries of anguish the pitiless laughter of batu's soldiers grandeur and pomp desolation and war the shimmer of jewels the angry clash of arms the memory of mongol supremacy of asiatic tyranny indelibly impressed on the people never to be forgotten or obliterated the problem of russia making hard-thinking level-headed statesmen raise their shoulders in despair the peril of russia the agony the confusion who can understand it find a solution a salvation and yet over and over again was kiev rebuilt from ashes and those who have read of russia's bondage under tartar rule do not try to judge or explain her by european standards nearly a thousand years before peter began to build the new capital on the marshes long even before the walls of the kremlin at moscow began to rise above the clustering village was kiev called the mother of russian towns founded even before that so the legends say by Key and his two brothers in four thirty in eight sixty two gastomil president of novgorod sent a message to the varangians and asked their chieftain rurik of the family of rus who was according to various historians varangian scandinavian or slavonic to come and rule the broad rich lands where no order was so rurik came to novgorod and from there two of his warriors ashkuld and Dyr, sailed down the Dnieper on their way to Tsarigrad, as Constantinople was called in those days, meaning to enroll themselves in the guard of the emperor of Bysintz. But, passing by the fair city of Kiev on the hill, they straightway abandoned their journey, overcame the citizens, and made themselves masters of the town. In 879 Rurik died at Novgorod, leaving a little son, Igor, for whom Oleg, his kinsman, became regent, and to oleg's ears was brought the fame of the city of kiev and sailing down the dnieper in his turn he lured ashkuld and dur by a crafty ruse aboard his ship you are not princes he told them standing above them immense and tall in his viking helmet but i am of royal blood and i have with me igor the son of rurik so ashkuld and dur were killed without mercy and the gates of kiev were opened to the first prince of the house of rurik and in the shifting shadows of that barbaric land where wandering tribe fought against wandering tribe dawned the first dim light of a great empire it was in nine o seven the old chronicles say that oleg with two thousand boats and eighty thousand men sailed down the dnieper and across the black sea to the golden city of tsarigrad in vain the greeks tried to close the entry to the straits with an iron chain for oleg had wheels attached to the bottom of his ships and so sailed across dry land to the walls of the capital of byzantium 
with fire and sword the wild hosts of the barbarians spread terror in the heart of the emperor and his people and finally the first russian treaty known to history was made oleg nailed his shield to the gate of tsarograd and returned to kiev laden with riches and treasures for thirty years oleg reigned subduing the wandering tribes of slavs and finns and lithuanians governing with a firm hand and great wisdom and making kiev the mother of all russian cities according to an old legend a wizard warned him that his favourite horse would one day cause his death whereupon oleg dismounted ordered that the horse be well cared for but be no more brought out for him to ride a few years later they came and told him that the horse was dead and in idle curiosity oleg went one day to the field where the bones lay already bleaching in the sun look said the great warrior how these wizards lie this was to be my death and laughing carelessly he set his foot upon the dead horse's head but after all the legend says the wizards did not lie for from the horse's skull a serpent darted out and bit oleg in the leg and from that wound he died igor the son of rurik married to olga who by some was said to be the daughter of gastomil succeeded him and reigned for thirty years but in nine forty five was treacherously killed by the drevlians sviatoslav his son was still too young to reign so olga became regent in his name and she who had been famous for her beauty became now known for her inexorable spirit of revenge against the enemies who had slain her husband so when the drevlians sent envoys to explain their unconsidered act and to beg for her hand in marriage for their prince she apparently consented to all their proposals and said she would receive them publicly in front of all her people unsuspecting the envoys allowed themselves to be carried in their boats on the shoulders of olga's men up to the gates of kiev but arrived there their bearers threw them into a deep pit that had been dug for the purpose and buried them alive keeping silent over the fate of the first envoys olga sent for a guard of honour to conduct her to the city of the drevlians and when they arrived had them conducted to a bath-house locked in and burnt then pretending that she wished to pray on igor's grave before she became the wife of another husband she induced the still unsuspecting drevlians to lead her there to a funeral feast and erecting a tumulus over the slaughtered body of igor she made the drevlians drink to his honour till presently when they were overcome with wine her followers fell on them and murdered every one and still her thirst for vengeance was not satisfied the people who had killed the man she loved had not yet suffered enough openly with an armed host she attacked the drevlian stronghold and unable to overcome its defences resorted once more to stratagem and sent a message to the starving populace saying she would raise the siege if they paid her tribute of a leash of pigeons and three sparrows from each homestead overjoyed by this clemency the people set to work to catch the birds and sent them to olga but when evening came she had rags steeped in oil fastened to their wings and setting them alight sent the poor terrified birds fluttering back to their nests in the thatch till presently the city of the drevlians was ablaze behind its impregnable walls and the inhabitants who tried to escape were massacred by the army who waited outside the gates so the legends say did olga avenge the death of her husband and satisfied at last returned to kiev to rule with great wisdom in her son's name famous she had been for her beauty and her pitiless hate 
but her name was to be handed down to history as olga the wise or olga the sainted and famous she was to be for her piety and devotion it was said that ashkold and dur had both been made christians but oleg and igor worshipped perun the god of thunder and when olga journeying to constantinople was received into the greek church under the name of helen she could not induce her son sviatoslav to become christian battle and conquest were the only things that counted in his mind and his picture still lives in russian history broad and strong with a golden beard one long lock of hair on his shaven head blue eyes that were very fierce and bright and a ring with two pearls and a blood-red ruby in his ear kizirs viaitiches kizoks bulgarians and greeks paid tribute to this mighty prince who sent them always this proud message i am marching against you who never ate cooked meat who wrapped in his cloak slept on the ground the saddle of his horse for a pillow and the wide night sky as a royal tent above him soon after the death of his mother sviatoslav set out to the shores of the danube to make war on the bulgarians and greeks and returning in triumph sailed across the sea and tried to make his way up the Dnieper, but was attacked and killed by the pichenikans a warlike nomad tribe of the steppes who had just made their appearance and who for many years were to threaten the peace and prosperity of russian towns sviatoslav left three sons each born of a different mother and among them he had divided his lands giving kiev to yarpulk the country of the drevlians to oleg and novgorod to vladimir the greatest and strongest of the three very soon after the death of their father dissension arose among the brothers Oleg was killed in a battle against Yarpulk. Vladimir fled back to Novgorod, and for a time Yarpulk ruled with undisputed power. But the warlike Vladimir did not rest for long, and beginning a new campaign against his brother, he sent to Rovgolod, prince of Polotsk, and asked for his support and the hand of his daughter Rognido in marriage. But the princess, dark-haired and golden-eyed, sent back her answer proudly. I am betrothed to Yarpulk, prince of kiev and never will i marry the son of a slave it was true that vladimir was the son of milasha one of olga's serving-maids but when this reply was brought to him he swore vengeance for the insult and attacking the castle of rovgolad he killed him and his two sons and carried off rognito as his unwilling bride then he made war on yarpulk laying siege to kiev and rodneo till Yarpulk, betrayed by his adviser Bludal, sought an interview to crave for peace, and was foully murdered even as he was about to enter his brother's tent. Nestor, in his chronicle, does not say whether Rognito wept at the death of her former lover. Did she come softly to where the mangled body of her husband's brother lay, and gently nurse the dead head against her breast? Or, shut in her narrow room, did she lie overwhelmed by tears, the masses of her dark hair covering her shoulders? Goroslava, the people called her, pitying her many sorrows, for gore in old Slavonic means woe. Rognido, of the golden eyes, mother of Yaroslav the Great, and wife of Vladimir. Once, tortured beyond endurance by her bitter memories and by her husband's neglect, she stole into his room, meaning to kill him as he lay asleep. But, waking, he caught her with a dagger in her hand, and in order to punish her for her treachery, he ordered her to deck herself in her wedding-gown and all her jewels, and, lying on a couch, to wait for him to come and kill her. And Rognito did all he told her, 
but when her husband came into her room his bared sword in his hand isaias lev one of his sons met him dost thou want to live alone fearlessly the child faced his formidable father take then this sword and kill me i do not wish to be witness of my mother's death and for the sake of the boy vladimir pardoned rognito and gave to her a city which he named isaias level unbridled in his passions great and terrible in his love for women was vladimir prince of kiev and yet he was a wise ruler a mighty warrior and one who aggrandized and enriched his kingdom soon after his accession he saw that the people's faith needed strengthening and that a new religion was necessary to hold his dominions together accordingly he determined to find the belief that was best suited for his country and he received many foreign envoys and not satisfied with this sent people of his own to the different lands to make still more inquiries the mohammedans had told him that he might have seventy wives but that he must not eat pork or drink any wine the idea of being allowed so many wives was one that appealed to vladimir but wine he said was a necessary delight to the russian people and when his envoys returned from the lands of the mohammedans and told him how they performed many foul deeds and prayed to god with their heads covered the grand prince set aside their faith the german catholics had told him how they worshipped god and fasted and confessed their sins and his envoys reported to him how there was no beauty in their churches but only sadness and gloom and much austerity and to vladimir repentance and austerity were not at all congenial so he decided not to adopt the catholic belief the jews also sent their envoys to him and told him how for the sake of their religion they had been cast out of their country and forced to wander over the world and vladimir answered them sternly if god loved you and your laws he would not allow you to be exiled we russians do not wish to share the same fate therefore we will have none of your religion but to the teachings of the greek priests vladimir listened with silent attention and when his envoys returned from constantinople and told him of the splendour of the greek churches and the beauty of the ceremonial vladimir pondered deeply and having laid siege to the ancient greek city of chersonesus in the crimea which was delivered into his hands he sent word to basil and constantine joint emperors of byzance that he wished to marry their sister anna and be received into the greek church reluctantly and with a heavy heart the princess anna sailed away from her beautiful city to marry vladimir the little red sun as his people called him mighty in his own country as the emperor charlemagne and at chersonesus afterwards called cherson where the great brown cliffs dipped down into the sea that is blue as blue flowers and precious stones was vladimir baptized into the christian faith and taking his new wife with him sailed up the Dnieper back to kiev and there by his orders the statues of the gods were hacked to pieces and the great wooden figure of peiran the god of thunder with his silver head and golden beard was dragged through the streets of the city and flung into the river and by their hundreds every day the citizens of kiev were baptized in the waters of the Dnieper, not gladly but because it was the will of the grand prince and the will of the grand prince was law he had said the old gods were deaf and useless and dumbly the people believed him and as kiev was the mother of russian cities so the other cities followed where she led and gradually and easily the christian faith was spread throughout all the land greatly did vladimir enrich the city of kiev and to his court came warriors from far and near so that round him grew up nearly all the legends of early russia 
ian the tanner was there who overcame the giant pichenyagan in single-handed combat and rovgolad and dobrinya and ilya miormets the peasant hero and many others but at last in ten fifteen the little red son of russia died and having been often unfaithful to the golden-eyed rogue needle he left many sons who fought among themselves so that his kingdom was given up to murder and bloodshed Yaroslav, one of Rognido's sons, was prince of Novgorod, and had refused to pay tribute to his father, who was on his way to punish him for his disobedience, when death overtook him. For as long as they could, his followers kept the fact that the grand prince had died a secret. For Svyatupok, the accursed, was in Kiev, and they feared him greatly. Svyatupok was the son of the beautiful Greek nun who had been slave to Yarpok when Vladimir wrested his kingdom from him and made his slave his mistress. Therefore was Svyatupok the accursed called the son of two fathers, for none knew whose child he was. All too soon the report of Vladimir's death reached his ears, and, seizing the power, he treacherously murdered his brothers Boris and Gleb and Svyatoslav and made himself master of Kiev but yaroslav of novgorod being warned by his sister predslava that his father was dead marched against the city and overcame sviet tupak and his army of petchenyagans who seeking to retreat across the barely frozen Dnieper, were caught and drowned by the breaking ice that could not bear their weight the petchenyagans having failed him sviet tupak called to his aid bolislas of poland but again Yaroslav defeated him, and Svyat Tupac the accursed fled across the plains, ever pursued by phantom enemies who would not let him rest, so that at last in misery he died. And now was Yaroslav the Lame, surnamed the Lawgiver, sometimes called the Great Prince of Kiev, and during his reign of thirty-eight years the mother of all Russian cities reached the zenith of her triumphant, evanescent glory it was he who surrounded her with the white walls with golden gates and turrets and domes that flashed in the sunshine it was he who built the cathedral of st sophia to commemorate a great victory over pichenyagans and it was he who framed the first laws of the country the raskia pravda known as the russian rite he founded cities and schools and concluded treaties with the sovereigns of europe he paid students to translate the old greek writings into the slavonic language and he enriched his churches and palaces with many treasures his wife was the princess ingigord of sweden and by her he had many children elizabeth his eldest daughter was loved by harold hodrado the king of norway who for her sake scorned the advances of zoe the beautiful empress of Byzance, fought against the infidels in Sicily, and visited the tomb of our Saviour in Jerusalem. Finally, after many years of waiting, Elizabeth consented to marry him, and accompanied him when he fought against Harold, king of England, and was killed at Stamford Bridge. A second daughter married Andrew, king of Hungary. A third, the Princess Anna, went to France as the bride of King Henry II it was she who carried with her in memory of her native land the evangelia which was treasured after her death in the cathedral of rheims the priests not knowing in what language it was written till many hundred years later peter the great came to france and was shown the ancient missal as a curiosity and opening it exclaimed it is written in my old slavonic 
so long had the book lain with none to understand the sonorous words that touched by the hands of peter of russia the old worn pages must surely have sighed for the memory of that fair princess whose fingers had turned them so often yaroslav too left many sons amongst whom he divided his kingdom bidding them keep peace and obey isiaslev whom he made prince of kiev vain injunction alas for no sooner was the grand prince dead and laid to rest in the blue and white marble coffin in the cathedral of st sophia then dissensions and quarrels broke out amongst the brothers and for the next fifty or sixty years the principality of kiev was the centre of bloodshed murder and plunder brother fought against brother cousin against cousin nephew against uncle and veslav of polotsk grandson of yaroslav's elder brother harassed his cousins with fire and sword so swift was he in his movements so suddenly did he appear so miraculous were his escapes that he was known as the wizard and was believed to change himself into a grey wolf flying across the steppes and at the same time the polotsai that barbarous race of tarko origin made their first appearance in russia burning and destroying cities and churches sparing neither woman nor child coming even as far as the walls of kiev in eleven thirteen vladimir monomaches son of Sevulad, who had married a daughter of constantine monomaches emperor of byzance was chosen prince by the people's wish and for a short space it seemed as if the glory of kiev would once more be renewed vladimir was famous for his successful wars against the polautsii as well as for his wisdom and just government his great strength and courage but in spite of the prudent and discerning testament he left to his sons chaos and disorder unutterable broke out amongst them after his death while they fought each other for the supremacy and poles lithuanians hungarians and polautsii harassed the country the expedition of igor prince of Savorsk, against the latter handed down through the centuries forms one of the most famous legends of those times embodying all the poetry and picturesque language that is still to be found in the uneducated peasants and soldiers sviatoslav then prince of kiev had fought a great army of the polautsii near the orel and the Dnieper. but igor said to his warriors the princes have beaten the polautsii on their own land but you and i will go where they dare not go across the dawn into the wild steppes and crush them utterly yearning filled the soul of the prince and his consuming wish to see the broad blue dawn made him forget many evil tokens so with his young son and his brother Vulad, the rushing bull in his great golden helmet igor set out across the plain and Vulad told his brother of the strength and valour of the fighting men he had with him they saw the light of day to the sound of blowing trumpets and during their early youth they were nourished with meat given them at the end of spears they know the distant roads and the great precipices their bows are bent and their quivers are full their swords sharpened they sweep into the fields like grey wolves famished for carnage they burn to crown their prince's forehead with a wreath of laurels and igor set foot in his golden stirrup and rode out to meet the enemy terrible storms arose driving across the steppes flocks of birds of prey hovered over the hosts of warriors wild beasts howled in their hidden lairs the foxes barked at the shining blue shields the spirit of evil shrieked out its warning from the sea-coast to the volga to korsen and the idol of tumautorikan 
and in a fierce battle were the polautsii overcome great treasures of gold and silk and fur fell into the hands of the russians while igor kept for himself a crimson banner on a silver lance but soon from the south came pouring new hordes of barbarians and surrounded the russian army a cloud of arrows rained on igor's warriors in vain vevulad the rushing bull attacked the oncoming hordes his golden helmet glittering in the stormlight his blows falling heavily on the polautsii warriors for two days and nights the battle continued but with the red dawn of the third morning the russian banners fell before the enemy and having no more blood to shed the russian generals died for their country igor in truth went across the blue dawn but he went as a captive in chains and not as a conqueror bitterly in paushaola wept the wife of igor when she heard of his fate looking out across the plains from the walls of the city she stretched out her arms to the far horizon and wept o oh, cruel wind why did you lend your wings to the arrows of the enemy let loose on the warriors of my love o oh, majestic Nipper, you have carried on your breast the ships of sviatoslav to the camp of kubiak give back to me the loved one of his country and of my heart and no more in the early mornings will i pray the sea to take in my tears for the space of many months was igor kept a prisoner in the camp of the polautsii but luvir one of his guards grew to love him and one night when the polautsii having drunk their rum grew merry igor making the sign of the cross crept out of his tent and down to the river where luvir waited for him with two swift horses so igor rode back across the steppes and embarking on the donuts reached his native land and returned thanks for his deliverance in the cathedral of kiev but the splendor of the mother of russian cities had vanished prince succeeded prince murder and carnage swept down the narrow streets the spirits of betrayal and assassination haunted the palaces the voices of those who prayed in the churches were broken by sobs the glory and prosperity of the days of oleg of vladimir and yaroslav were no more and formidable and sinister the name of a people hitherto unknown in history sprang into sudden and dire significance driving the polautsii and other nomad tribes before them the terrible tartar hordes swept across the plains overwhelming and invincible in their numbers burning slaying plundering as they came in twelve twenty four the russian princes collecting a great army tried to check the advance of the asiatic barbarians and were defeated by the river kolkoa near the town of maropur but instead of continuing their pursuit of the flying armies further than the shores of the dnieper the tartars turned back once more to the east and russia might have believed herself spared had not signs and presages of evil continued to warn the people of dire calamity the plague burst out in various places a terrible fire nearly destroyed novgorod the earth trembled and shook the sun was darkened there were famines and drought and plagues of locusts then in twelve thirty seven the mongol hosts again advanced ryazin moscow vladimir went down before them burnt and ruined and in twelve forty batu the great tartar chief looking out from the smoking ruins of chernigorf saw the distant white walls of kiev his wild savage heart full of the lust of ruin and destruction waiting till the Dnieper was frozen he moved across the solid ice with his hosts of horsemen and wagons and camels and the snow-covered country was black with the swarming figures of the asiatic warriors 
shock upon shock their battering rams thundered on the golden gates the stones hurled by their engines crashed on the walls driven back again and again they seemed to spring up once more in unbelievable numbers till at last the gates crumbled and they held the ramparts but still desperately heroically the people of kiev fought on men women and children piling up a new wall only to be swept away and annihilated then seeking refuge on the roofs of churches they flung stones and missiles at the black horde sweeping up the narrow streets butchering and killing as they came till the roof of st sophia crowded thus to overflowing fell in burying its defenders in its downfall devastating everything they came across burning plundering murdering men women and children the tartars left the mother of russian cities a heap of smoking ruins with just the tottering wall of st sophia with the image of the virgin that neither fire nor shock of arms had been able to destroy standing up amidst the waste the birds of prey gathered in a dark cloud over the masses of the dead and silence fell softly over the blood-stained trampled snow the creaking of the wheels of tartar carts the fierce war-cry of the little yellow-faced soldiers the neighing of horses the thunder of battle all hushed now in the frozen stillness the desolation of a city of crumbling ruins still smouldering in faint blue smoke and that one wall left standing with the pitying mother of god looking down on her fallen churches and now for many years were the princes of russia tributary vassals of the great tartar khan and darkness and sorrow lay over the wide lands and ruined cities a darkness that has left its mark indelibly impressed on the country a sorrow that has never been forgotten a certain oriental sombreness and fatalism nothing can obliterate a shadow of dread of resistless submission and the fierceness of a pitiless cruelty only one name shines out like a star in the history of those days the name of alexander prince of novgorod blue-eyed and fair a giant in stature a great man and a hero named by the church saint alexander nevskia of whom batu said i have never seen a prince like him in twelve forty when the mongols were first attacking kiev alexander then barely twenty-one fought and overcame the swedes who were sailing up the neva in twelve forty one he freed scoff from the german knights in the famous battle that has been named the ice slaughter and seven times he fought and crushed the lithuanian bands sent out against him when his father yaroslav prince of kiev died in mongolia where he had gone to pay homage to the tartar khan batu sent a message to alexander commanding him to come and take his father's place and having asked spiritual advice of cyril bishop of rostov alexander went to sarai and from there was sent on to the great khan in his distant eastern fastness so with his brother andre along that weary way across the endless plains rode young alexander with his head bent thinking of his father and the fate that perhaps awaited him at the tartar horde but admiring his calm quiet fearlessness his high bearing and great stature the khan treated him with honour did not require him to give up his religion and made him lord of kiev and later of vladimir the tartar yoke weighed ever more heavily on russia the exorbitant taxes the registering of each man's head of every horn and hoof of his cattle the interest demanded for all arrears of payment were all slowly ruining the people 
and if they were unable to pay they were tortured imprisoned sold into slavery looking out over his suffering country alexander's eyes darkened with overwhelming sadness his young face grew thin and hard and stern with the dumb anguish that tore his heart his journeys to the tartar horde had shown him the terrible odds there were against russia his clear far-seeing judgment knew that to attempt to resist or fight the tartars would only mean endless carnage the destruction of cities the burning of churches the massacre of women and children war and desolation unspeakable again and again in novgorod and skoff the people tried to revolt his brother even his own son refused to listen to his advice of patience and endurance only to be punished cruelly for their folly again and again in order to placate the tartars he journeyed to sarai where batu who had loved the beautiful young prince was dead and had been succeeded by borke stern and inflexible and hard to convince times without number too he went the long weary journey to the capital of the great khan in asia till at last worn out by his constant anxieties and endless wanderings his strength gave way and falling ill on his way home from sarai in twelve sixty three he took the monk's habit at serodets and died a breathless messenger brought the news to cyril metropolitan of vladimir when he was officiating in the cathedral and turning to the crowd in the shadowed church the old man raised his trembling hands amidst the clouds of blue incense alas my children he cried the sun of the russian land has set amidst the tears and mourning of a sorrowing people the body of the prince was brought to vladimir and laid to rest and many years later when peter the great wished to establish his new capital and could not persuade his subjects to live in a city where there were no saints he had the body brought to petersburg and laid in the great new church of alexander nevskia on the spot where the young prince brave and sunny-eyed and unafraid had conquered and overcome the swedish hosts canonized by the russian church the name of alexander has lived through the centuries had it not been for his wise advice his foreseeing prudence the russians vainly revolting against the tartar oppression might have been utterly annihilated mongol princes would have ruled at kiev and moscow and novgorod the language the religion the whole race of the russian people might in time have disappeared and masters of all that vast rich land who knows to what heights the savage tartar hordes might have risen who can tell how far their power might have extended a few desultory attempts had been made to rebuild kiev but with her crumbling walls her ruined palaces and churches she was little more than an outpost till oolgerd son of godomir prince of lithuania seized on all the country round called by some the greatest statesman of the middle ages he increased his power till his name was feared by the german knights by the princes of novgorod and moscow cowering behind their walls by the wild tartar band sweeping across the plain his son jacquivielo embraced the catholic religion in order to marry the beautiful jadvigo queen of poland building up thus the polish lithuanian kingdom which for many years was to be russia's most bitter enemy meanwhile the power of the tartars was beginning to weaken revolutions dissensions and civil wars had broken out in the horde enfeebling the armies and dispersing the forces in various directions so that ivan three prince of moscow gained a great victory over them lifting thus the yoke of tartar supremacy from russia peace however was not to come easily to kiev there was the constant controversy of religion 
orthodox and catholic priests preaching their varying doctrines there was the enmity of the princes of moscow there was the attacks of crim tartars who in fourteen eighty three burnt her once more to the ground there were the incursions of german knights into her territory and the fierce raids of cossack bands swept by wars and insurrections by peasant revolts by brutal massacres the country lay tormented and suffering now and then such names as bogdan khmelnitsky or mazepa blaze out for a few moments amidst the welter of killing the tramp of bloodthirsty crowds on the country roads the thundering hoofs of polish or cossack horsemen then at last the treaties were signed that gave the ukraine definitely back to russia elizabeth and catherine came to kiev with all their court prosperity and commerce flourished once more the bells of the churches rang out to the silence of the fields where peasants ploughed the rich black earth in nineteen eleven a tragedy and a crime brought the name of the old capital of russia once more into prominence when stolipinow the great prince minister of the emperor nicholas too was assassinated in the opera house i well remember the horror that fell on petersburg when the news was first made public the feeling one had of sudden emptiness of a ship that rudderless seemed to be drifting with the tide already some ten years earlier an attempt had been made to kill the prime minister at his country house out on the islands and passing it i had seen the balcony shattered by the assassin's bomb it was here that his daughter was so cruelly injured and from here that she was carried to the winter palace while the agony of mind which racked her father for whose sake she was suffering was more intense even than the torture she endured ever since then monsieur stolipignau had been guarded with the most intense precautions spending his summers on the island of yelagen in the big white palace which had been built by alexander i for his mother when one drove out on the islands one found all the roads leading to yelagen blocked with barbed wire and patrolled with police while little boats with other armed policemen circled round the grounds on the water an immensely tall man with a square black beard and eyes that for all their keenness were those of a dreamer monsieur stolipignau was a true patriot he believed in firmness and put the welfare of his country before everything even before the danger that pursued him so relentlessly and which he knew would one day strike him down he was buried near the cathedral of the assumption in that old capital of russia where so much of her history had been written those who knew the truth of his work mourned him with aching hearts while those who blindly had seen in him only a tyrant jubilated not knowing that by killing him they had piled up one more stone of their country's ruin and ever since the revolution kiev has been once more the centre of turmoil and unrest there was already during the government of kerensky an idea of giving autonomy to the ukraine then came the bolshevik rising the streets of kiev running red with blood the rise of the muizepa party but lura with his followers fighting in turn both the white armies and the bolsheviks finally driven out by them having to seek refuge in poland ukraine the land of grain of rich black soil and flowering cherry trees the land of the old rurik princes fought for by russians and poles and lithuanians the country of romance and legends and storms ukraine that name whose true meaning is border or frontier or beyond and kiev that old mother of russian cities on the hills above the yellow Dnieper, with her palaces and churches and the virgin on her indestructible wall looking down with pitiful wistful eyes on the sorrows of her people 
End of chapter 8